0: Church, we live in a culture where um, sexual morality is prevalent. Uh, it, it, it's all around us. And, and the minute I say that, you, you all know exactly how true that is. We, we, we live in a decadent culture. And this creates two unique challenges for us as followers of Christ, living in a culture like our own that, that, is, that is so impure and immoral uh, on the one hand, it creates the challenge of maintaining a winsome witness. You know, as we, as we seek to stand for uh, God's truth, as we seek to stand for what is pure, what is, what is right, what is good, as we, as we seek to call sin, sin, and call righteousness, righteousness, well, there's a challenge to maintain a winsome witness in that, isn't there? A challenge to to. To make sure that we are communicating the truth in love to our culture. A challenge to, to stand courageously for what's right in the face of opposition. While still not, not ostracizing or, or, or not, not pushing away those who need the gospel. That, that's one of our challenges as we live in this culture. Is to maintain a winsome witness. But the other challenge is to maintain a pure walk ourselves. We want, we want to have this winsome witness in the world, but we also have, have a challenge that we would, we would actually walk in purity, that we would not be tempted by the culture. We would not walk as the world walks in these things. We would not give ourselves to immorality and impurity and, and, and sexual sin, but, but that we would walk in purity. These are the two challenges we face in our culture today, in, in a, in a, again, in a sexually immoral culture. But I want to say that even though there's, there's much that is new about living in the 21st century the way we do, the, 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 there's, there's much that's new, but really it's not new at all. Our situation isn't new. The cultures throughout history have been marked by sexual immorality, and the Ephesians culture was just that way as well. They were surrounded by it in their culture, just like we are today. Paul addressed the very same challenges that we face today in his letter to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago. Again, it's, it's nothing new, church, but, 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 but God in his word has spoken to these challenges. He's spoken to his people living in the midst of immorality, living, seeking, to maintain a wins, seeking to maintain a pure walk. He has spoken to us truth to equip us to live in purity and to live in winsomeness before the world. You can open your Bible to Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 5, 3-14. through 14. We're in a second half of the book. The second half of Ephesians is calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which God has called us. We were dead and God made us alive. We were not His people, now we are His people. He has saved us by His grace through the death of Christ. And now we're called walk worthy of that calling. Walk worthy as the people of God. And this week, in Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14, here's where Paul focuses in. He says, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And we're going to explore what that means together this morning. What does it mean to walk as children of light in the midst of a culture that is so immoral? So let's read this passage together, Ephesians 5, 3 through 14, and then after that we will look at what it means to walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I just want to pray one more time, church. This is a... Important weighty text. I just want to ask the Lord to help us. Uh, Father, we um, want to come right now and, and understand the weight of what we're reading, um, understand the weight of, of, of the culture around us, the weight of temptation that we experience, the weighty calling you've called us to. And, and again, Lord, understand that, that we bring nothing to the table. We cannot, um, in our own effort, produce the fruit of light. But by your word, by your spirit, you can in us. And so we pray you would. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're called to walk as children of light, church. And and this passage shows us four things that we should be doing if we're going to fulfill that calling. Four instructions for walking as children of light in this world. The first instruction is separate yourself from immorality. Separate yourself from sexual sin. Paul lists four types of, of sexual sins in verses 3 and 4 that we need to be separate from. Uh, look, look, at, look at verses 3 and 4 with me. He says, But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So, so he, he, he says four types of, of sins here that we uh, need to be separate from, that, that, that have no place among God's people. He says they're out of place. First, sexual immorality. And here, Paul's referring to what we do. He's referring to our actions. He's referring to any and all acts of sexual sin that we commit with our bodies. This can include adultery, this can include fornication, this can include homosexuality, but anything that we do with our bodies that is immoral. And you know, we could make a list. We could make a list of, say, all say all the immoral acts that the Bible includes. But really the best way to define what is sexually immoral is is by defining what is God's design for sexuality. What 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 is the picture he gives us of, of what is moral and right and good. And God's design is one man, one woman within the marriage covenant. That 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 is that is the essence of where his design for sexuality is to take place. There's freedom there. There's joy there. But anything outside of that, outside of one man and one woman in a lifelong marriage covenant, is immoral. Any action that we commit that's outside of that would be defined as sexual immorality. And so Paul says that, that must not be among you. That has no place among you. And then he says all impurity. So from here, he's moving from our actions to our thoughts, the things that we think about. In Matthew 5.28, Jesus said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He moves from the external of adultery to the internal of of lustful thinking. And in line with Christ's teaching, believers are called to put off not only immoral actions, but also impure thoughts. Our, Our thoughts are included in this call. And then he goes further, or covetousness. Covetousness is is getting from from what we do to what we think to what we want, what we desire. To covet is essentially to desire something that doesn't belong to you. But I want to get a little deeper than that because there are a lot of things that we desire that don't belong to us and we're not sinning. Like like that that cool car passes by me and I want that car. Well, really, they want my minivan, but, um, you know, it's ours. Don't covet to understand what covetousness is, that's, that's not sin, right? But to understand what covetousness actually is, look at how Paul defines it in verse 5. Look in verse 5. You may be sure of this, that one who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. So, so, so Paul says, if you're covetous, you are an idolater. Co- covetousness is idolatry. Idolatry is wanting something more than you want God himself. Idolatry is worshiping something in place of God. Idolatry is, 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 is giving your, your heart and your affections and your desires to a false god. And when it comes to sexual sin, we need to not only put off the actions and not only the impure thoughts, but also the idolatrous hearts that want sexual pleasure more than we want God. Saying you can't, you can't, it's, it's not just putting off the actions or even the thoughts, but, but you've got to get to the heart. The things that you're desiring, the things that you want, the things that you, you're saying, I, I want this more than I want God. I need this to be happy. This is no place among you. It's out of place among saints. And, and then if that's not enough, what we, what we do, what we think about, what we want, then look what Paul says. He, he says these things must not even be named among you. Don't even talk about them. Oh. Well, Paul just named them, didn't he? I mean, he just named them right away. He doesn't mean we can't say the words, but what does he mean? Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. He's calling the church out of crass speaking that makes light of sexuality, that turns God's gift of sexuality into something that is dishonorable or something that's cheap. You know, I think this is what happens. The world makes light of sexuality. And it is cheap in the world. And it is dishonored. And, and, and we subtly buy into the lie that it is a worldly thing. We, but that's not true. Sexuality is not a worldly thing. It, it is a sacred thing. It's the design of a holy and righteous God. It's, it's the design that is meant to point us to the joy of spiritual union with Christ. It, it is a sacred, mysterious, wonderful thing. And we sin whenever we demean this reality by our speaking, by our joking, by, by the jokes we listen to, by the, by, the, by the filthy talk. These things cheapen it and dishonor it. something that is sacred and wonderful. And we, we should esteem it because we know what it really is. I want you to notice with me something about this that this list is comprehensive, isn't it? What we do, what we think, what we want, what we say, Paul says, all of it has no place among God's people. The NIV's translation is helpful, I think. It helps us feel the essence. The NIV says there must not be even a hint of sexual morality. Not even a hint. You know, I think often our approach to these things is to, we draw an imaginary line and we say, this much is okay, after that, it's too much. But just want you to think of me for a minute, just imagine someone who has a severe peanut allergy, right, if a severe peanut allergy, um, and if someone has a severe peanut allergy, that it's not only that they can't eat peanuts, right, they, they can't even be around it. It can't even be in the air. And they are vigilant to make sure that they are not around peanuts. It's not even getting close to them. Because what happens if, if they are? It's deadly. It's dangerous. I think that that's a good illustration for our mentality about sexual morality. But we shouldn't just draw a line and say, after that, it's too far. No, just being around it is deadly to us. It's, it's dangerous to us. Be as deadly to us as someone that, that has peanut allergies saying, as long as I don't eat it, I'll be fine. And when I say deadly and dangerous, I'm getting this from the passage here. Look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul gives this instruction. To, to stay away from these things, what we, what we do, what we think, what we want, what we say. And he says, here's why, because God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of, of Christ and of God and, and the new heavens and new earth will be pure and righteous and perfect and good forever and ever. That kingdom is coming. And Paul says, if, if you live this way, then you have no inheritance in that kingdom. If you live this way, you have no part in that kingdom. And then look what he says in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Not only is God's kingdom coming, God's wrath is coming. God's wrath is coming against all those who are disobedient to him in this world. And if you are not a part of that kingdom, then you will experience that wrath. You're missing out on his kingdom. You're going to experience his never-ending, holy, righteous wrath for your sin if you live this way. We might ask, but but Paul, I mean, this is Ephesians, Paul. You wrote this. Didn't you say in Ephesians 1-7 that our trespasses have been forgiven? Didn't you say in Ephesians 1.14 that the Spirit guarantees our inheritance in the kingdom of heaven? Didn't you say in Ephesians 2.8 and 9 that we've been saved by grace and not by works? How can you say that if I commit these sins, I'll be excluded from God's kingdom? How can you say that if I live this way, I'll experience God's wrath? Didn't Jesus take that wrath for me? I think Paul would respond with something like this. He says, yes, you, you, you've been forgiven of your sins. But that also means you've been freed from your sins. That forgiveness was redemption. He'd say, yes, the Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance, but He's the Holy Spirit who also transforms your life. He says, yes, you've been saved by grace and not by works, but that was for the purpose of walking in good works as God's new creations. All that to say, if if your life is characterized by sexual morality or impurity or idolatry, then it follows that you've not actually experienced his forgiveness. You've not actually been dwelt by his spirit. You're not actually saved by God's grace. So, so what Paul is saying is not that we will lose our inheritance. He's saying you've never had it in the first place. If you live a life that is characterized by sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness and foolish, filthy talk, if that characterizes your life, then, then you are under the wrath of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The application on this point, church, is let no one deceive you. That's what he says. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Someone who comes and says to you, you can live this way and it's okay, that's deception and that's empty words and it's not true. Sexual immorality is dangerous to us. It is dangerous to our souls. If you are making peace with sexual sin in your life, then do not be deceived into thinking your soul is safe. Don't let someone tell you that. It's not true. The mark of a true believer is that you make war against these things. I want to clarify here that Paul is not saying that if you ever commit these sins, then you don't hear the kingdom of God. He is, he is talking about someone who, who makes peace with these sins, who allows them to be, who is okay with them in their life, who is not actively fighting and struggling against them. That person will not be in the kingdom of heaven. A true believer will make war against these sins by the power of the Holy Spirit in light of the gospel with God's people. Do not be deceived. Instead, repent. Repent of immoral actions. Repent of impure thoughts. Repent of idolatrous motives. Repent of irreverent words. You know, when we think about that list, I think that all of us have something to confess don't we when we think about how comprehensive Paul's being we all need to be making war on this all the time we need to walk as children of light by separating ourselves from every hint of sexual sin in our lives this is the first way that we walk as children of light separate yourself from immorality second sever the root of idolatry Sever the root of idolatry. I quoted Matthew 5 a few minutes ago. i want to go back there again and look at what Jesus taught in that passage. You can turn there if you have your Bible. Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, Us a principle here about how we fight sin, and here's the principle: get at the root of your sin, get at the root of it, and cut it off for the sake of your soul. See the same teaching about about the danger of it in this passage we just saw in Ephesians, don't we? That that that, that do this so you don't go to hell. I heard John Piper say, "Kill sin or go to hell." I mean, I mean that. that that sounds wrong at first, but we understand the context of, of someone who's been saved by grace, transformed by God. That, 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 that's true. If, if, if that's not happening in your life, then, then you have no reason to think you've been transformed by God's grace. But this is the evidence. This is the evidence that God has saved you, is that, is that you, you seek to make war in your sin. How do you make war in your sin? You get at the root. You figure out what's the cause, and you fight it there. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to sexual morality, when it comes to lust, let me ask you a question. Would tearing out my right eye keep me from lust? No. Would, te- would cutting off my hand keep me from sexual sin? No. These things are not actually the root. Jesus is using these things to, just to give us a picture of the principle, but, but Jesus himself taught that, that it's, it's our hearts. What comes out of the heart is, is what makes us do these things. The root is is what Paul said, it's covetousness, it's idolatry. This is where we need to aim in our fight against these things. We need to aim at our hearts. We need to aim at the idolatry that exists. And this is why, in, back in Ephesians 5, in verse 4, this is why Paul's prescription for what do we do, what do we do instead, what do we replace these things with, is thanksgiving. He says, instead, let there be thanksgiving. You might think he said, instead, let let there be purity. Instead, let there be righteousness. No, instead, let there be thanksgiving. Why? Because thanksgiving severs the root of idolatry. Thanksgiving severs the root of idolatry. Idolatry says, I'm not satisfied. Idolatry says, I want more. I need more. I won't be happy until I get more. But thanksgiving says, I am satisfied. I have all I want. I have all I need. I don't need anything else. I'm content in God. This severs the root of idolatry to, to, to cultivate a thankful heart and to be content in what God has given you and done for you. In church, we have so much to be thankful for. mean, at one level, we each need to give thanks for all the physical, temporal blessings God's given us in this life. Jobs, food, homes, families, vehicles, health, education. I mean, these, these are all things that we should be thanking God for. Gifts from God is His kindness to us. But even there, I don't think that we should focus our thanksgiving there. I'm not saying we should not give thanks, or we should, but, but it's not the focus. Because here's the thing, jobs are not secure. Families are not secure. Homes are not secure. Vehicles are not secure. Health is not secure. But it's entirely possible to lose all those things and for a Christian to still abound in thanksgiving. We can lose all of it. And Paul would still say, let there be thanksgiving. Why? Well, look what Paul says down in verse 8. He says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. At one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. We can give thanks in any circumstance because God has called us from our lives of darkness and has turned us into light in Christ. Notice we weren't just in the darkness. We weren't weren't just, weren't just staggering around the darkness trying to feel our way out. No, we were darkness. He says, you were darkness. What does he mean by that? You, you yourselves encompassed evil and sin and unrighteousness. You, you were characterized by darkness. You weren't a victim. You were a rebel. And God came to you, whose, whose life was characterized by the darkness of sin, willfully rebelling against God. He came to you, and in His grace, He turned you into light. He, he turned you into light in Christ. He transformed you from darkness to light. What, what more could we want What more could we need? We have God. We have Christ. We have the Spirit. We have eternal life in the kingdom of light. We've been transformed. We have his presence. We have his blessings. We have his promises. So much to be thankful for. And this will sever the root of of idolatry. And so to apply this church, I want to call you to do two things. First, practice thanksgiving as a discipline. As a discipline. By that I mean intentionally work it into your personal worship, intentionally work it into your family worship. We seek to intentionally work it into our prayers here on Sunday mornings, but, but take time, specific time devoted to give thanks. Maybe with your families, you, you, you take time every day to say, what should we thank God for today? And to just make it a discipline. But also, second application here is, is when you're tempted, turn to Thanksgiving. Hey, what, what do you do in the moment of temptation? when when it feels like you you're you're going to give in you don't you don't know what to do what's one thing you can do turn to thanksgiving take your mind off whatever is tempting you and turn to thanksgiving and begin to meditate on all God has done for you maybe memorize Ephesians 1 3 through 14 Remember, back in January, we looked at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he just lists all the things God has done for us. He's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's revealed His plan to us. He's given a spirit to us. He's given us an inheritance. Just just memorize that passage and meditate on it and let thanksgiving come up and well up in place of idolatry in your heart. But when you're tempted... That's the strategy, turn to thanksgiving. Let thanksgiving take the place of idolatry. So separate yourself from immorality, sever the root of idolatry. And then third, seek to please Christ. We walk as children of light by seeking to please Christ. I mentioned two challenges at the beginning of this sermon. As we live in this world, this immoral world, the challenge of a winsome witness and a pure walk. The reality is, here in this room on paper, we can talk about purity and impurity, but in the world, as we're engaging with the world, there are situations where it's not always as clear what we should do. We want to engage the world wisely. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that look like? Look at what Paul says in verses 8 and following. He says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love how realistic this instruction is. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. There will be situations you face in this life where it's not immediately obvious to you what pleases Christ. And what's needed is discernment. What's needed is the ability to discern Christ, what would please you in this instance. You know, we're not, not going to find any genuine followers of Christ who disagree that sexual immorality is sinful, but, but when it comes to some of these situations, we, we, we can find disagreement and, and, and situations where discernment is needed. Let me give you just two, two obvious examples of where discernment is needed. What we watch and what we wear. What we watch and what we wear. What we watch, TV Movies, YouTube, internet, whatever it might be. The things we watch are, are so often filled with immorality, aren't they? I, I mean, it, it, it's, just, it's just, whether it's explicit or implicit, it's just, it just seems to fill all our options of entertainment. And, and we need discernment to know, should I be watching this? Is this, is this pleasing to Christ? And then what we wear? I mean, modesty. Just, just think about just culturally, over, over centuries, uh, fashions change, uh, styles change, and, and, and God does not call us to just wear uh, big black bags all the time. Right? That's, that's not his calling to us. But what, but what should we wear? And, and when you're shopping and, and, and trying to discern those questions and discern what, what pleases Christ, so it, obviously it's not something that everyone agrees on. But there is a way that pleases Christ and it requires discernment. In both of these cases, what we watch, what we wear, our aim must be to discern Christ what would please you, what would bring you pleasure. That's our calling as followers of Jesus. Whatever we do, we're to do it for his sake. And Paul gives three qualities here to think about in order to do this, in order to discern what pleases him. Look again at verse 8 and 9. He says he says walk in of light for the fruit of light. Is found in all that is good and right and true. So take both of those scenarios or any other scenario you can think of and, and you ask these three questions Is it good? Is it good? Does it reflect the goodness of God? Does it reflect the character of God? Is it right? Does it conform to righteousness as we see it in the scriptures? Would this be characterized as righteous in the Bible? And then is it true? Is it true? What does that mean? What does it mean to say, is is this decision true? Is this this action true? Well, we know the truth is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so I think we can ask, does this align with the gospel, and does this actually serve the purposes of the gospel? Will Will this advance the gospel? Will this magnify the gospel? Is it true? You ask those three questions about these decisions. Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? And if you want to be able to answer those questions well, Then there's a few things that we need to do um, before the questions come. Some applications for this point. You need to pray for discernment. Pray for discernment. When these things happen, don't just try to answer right away. If you're not sure, pray. God will surely answer your prayers for discernment when you are genuinely seeking to please Christ in these things. He, he, He wants you to please Christ, and he will answer that prayer. He will give you discernment. But the second, if you pray for discernment from God, then you should also be ready to open the Word of God. And be, 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 now, don't just look for a proof text. Don't just, don't just open it and say, I need to find a verse that tells them what to do. No, be immersed in the Scriptures. Be renewed by the Scriptures. Be shaped by the Scriptures. Regular reading and meditation on the Bible is so important to be able to be someone who has discernment. Do you want discernment in your life? You need to be in the book all the time. And then be in conversation with each other. Like, don't try to make all these decisions on your own, but talk to your brother or sister in Christ. And and understand that wisdom often comes through community with others who are seeking to please Christ. So, so talk to each other about these things. But seek to please Christ. It's not always immediately obvious to us, but if we're going to walk as children of light, then we need to discern what to do in these situations, don't we? Finally, shine into the darkness. Shine into the darkness. I just want to ask a really basic question here. What does light do? What does light do? Light expels darkness. Light makes what was once hidden in the dark visible. Light gives us a vision of how things really are. So when we hear the instruction, walk as children of light, it might be tempting just to, just to hear, walk in the light. Just, just, just to hear a call to purity, a call to, to walk in holiness as a personal call to repentance. But Paul doesn't stop with that idea of just walking in purity. He, he keeps going and says, don't, don't just walk in the light, walk as light. Walk as light. Look at verses 11 through 14. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So verse 11, he reinforces what we already saw. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. But then he goes further, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, be separate from those things, but then he says, expose them. Be separate from them and expose them. Our calling is, yes, to be separate, but then also to shine light back into that darkness. To be lights that reveal what's hidden. And and, and Paul now has in his mind the world. He has in his mind unbelievers who are living in this darkness still. And he's saying, expose the works of darkness. You are called to be a light in that darkness. We cannot just separate ourselves from the world in these things. We must shine into the darkness. How do we do this? We do this through our lives, first and foremost. Our own purity reveals in itself the righteous standards and, and good design of God. As we just live out God's design in these things, that speaks for itself in so many ways. People see, people see that, that this, is, this is what God's word says to, to do. This is, this is what God's design is. I shouldn't have said it speaks for itself because it really doesn't. I shouldn't have said that just came out. It doesn't speak for itself. We we need to use our words. We need to use our words. We we, we cannot call the world to repentance without defining the sin that needs to be repented of. I mean, think about our culture. No one has a problem with anybody living the way they want to live. The problem is, you tell me how to live, right? The problem is, you're saying, I need to live that way? We we, we could live uh, pure lives, but if we never say anything, then then no one's going to be Expose. No one's going to say that. That are you saying God's calling me to do that too? No, we need to we need to live it out, but then we need to speak into it as well, and these two mutually reinforce each other, don't they? If, if we live in purity but but never never speak about repentance, then the world's just going to say, well, well, you do you and I'll do me, right? But if we speak about repentance but we don't live it out, then the world's just going to see that we're hypocrites. We need to speak it and we need to live it if we're going to expose the darkness. And so, knowing that we need to live pure lives and speak these things into the darkness, what will happen when we do that, church? What should we expect to see when we expose the works of darkness? Look at what Paul says. Verse 13. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So, so, so that makes sense to us, right? When the light shines, what's in darkness becomes visible again. But then look what he says in verse 14. For anything that becomes visible... Is light. It's a little hard to follow what Paul's doing here, but look at the end of verse fourteen, and it begins to make sense. Therefore, it says, "Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you." Here's what here's what Paul is saying. Just like we used to be darkness, we were darkness, and Christ shone on us, and now we are light. So, so Paul's saying that when we expose the works of darkness and we shine into that darkness, that that Christ is going to do that again. With the people in the world he's gonna he's gonna shine on the spiritually dead and anything that becomes visible is like he's going he's gonna turn darkness into light again just like he did for you and for me he's going to do it again through your life think about lazarus lazarus is dead he's buried in the tomb jesus comes and he commands lazarus cries out come out lazarus and this dead man is brought back to life, reinvigorated with life, comes out from the darkness of the tomb into the light of life. That's, that's the resurrection power of Jesus, right? Jesus resurrects people. We, we know that, but here's what it's saying. Paul's saying that when we expose the darkness through our lives and our words, we are to come out. Our lives and our words are Jesus saying, come out. He's, he's, he's saying it through us. And when, when he says, come out, what happens? People come out. They're raised to life again. But he's using us to do that, church. He's speaking that command to the spiritually dead as we shine into the darkness through our lives and our words. Church, this excites me to realize that that God is calling us not only out of impurity to purity, but then he's saying, and I can use you to do that in other people's lives too. I want to use you. Church, more than anything else in our culture, we can expect opposition on this front. We can expect persecution on this front as we seek to live out God's design for sexuality and call others to repentance and faith. This is the major point of contention between American culture and biblical Christianity. It is. American culture, biblical Christianity, this is the major point of contention. Sexuality and God's design of marriage. It's going to be increasingly difficult to live this out and stand for these truths in our culture. But what an amazing encouragement this is, that as we do, Christ will shine on people. As we do, the spiritually dead will be resurrected. As we do, those who are darkness will become light. Sinners will become saints. And God's going to use us to accomplish these things. We need to walk in the light first. We need to walk in purity. But then we need to walk as the light and shine back into the darkness. We're going to move toward a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together and I just want to give a few calls to close before we do this. Maybe you're here today and especially as you hear these warnings you recognize that you've never actually turned away from sin and truly trusted in Christ and and you're recognizing my life is characterized by immorality and impurity and idolatry. And you're hearing the call, don't be deceived. Well, I want to call you to call out to Christ this morning. Call out to him to save you. The, The response cannot be for you, do better. Because you can't. You're still in darkness. You're still powerless. The response needs to be, confess your sins and look to Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. He will save you. He will forgive you. And he will transform your life. He will set you free you've never trusted in Christ, call out to him today. Another, another category I want to address is if you are a believer who, I'm going to be specific here, if you're a believer who would, would consider yourself or you would say, I, I am trapped in besetting sexual sin. I, 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 I commit it often and I, and I don't know how to, how to be free. This morning, God's also calling you to repent. He's calling you to turn away from it and turn to Christ. He's calling you to confess your sins and trust in his forgiveness. And then he's calling you to make war on that sin. Confess it to a brother or sister. Seek the help of an elder or a discipleship leader and pursue purity along with those who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. Make war on that sin. Don't give up making war on that sin. Christ is pleased as you fight it. But you need to come into his light in repentance, in confession, seeking help. Listen, I've never known anybody who who experienced freedom from sexual sin alone. Never seen anyone do that alone. Confess to a brother, confess to a pastor, confess to someone and say, I need help here and make war on it. And then, again, to some degree, we all need to hear the call to repentance this morning. This is so comprehensive, not even a hint. What we do, what we think, what we want, what we say. And so this morning, as we enter into communion, let's repent. Let's confess our sins. Let's turn away from them. Out of thanksgiving to God, in order to please Christ, for the sake of those who are in darkness still, who need the light of the gospel, let's enter into this time of communion with confession and repentance, and then celebrating That we have a savior who can cleanse us and transform us and use us.